All right, everybody, welcome to episode number three, Monday edition of Stick to Hockey Live with Jason Martinez and our special guest today will join us in just a couple minutes. It is Kevin Woodley from In Goal Magazine. Kevin is an awesome guest. I love talking to him. I'm going to talk a lot about goaltending, obviously, when Kevin's here. We'll break down Carter Hart, Martin Jones, goalies across the league, the Metropolitan Division goalies, Shesterkin, Sorokin, you name it. We'll talk about all that and a ton to get to with Kevin. Stick to Hockey Live, always presented by Park Sportsbook and the Sportsbook app. If you do not have it yet, go and download it. Oh, i got to turn off my notifications. <laughs> but get the down, download the app. It's so easy to use. You're going to love using it. I would say I'll give you a couple of plays for tonight, but the NHL is actually dark tonight because the Calgary Flames are in COVID protocol and they're paused for a couple of days. So the NHL actually has no games tonight. I'd love to give you a game, but... Maybe we'll look at some props a little bit later on and maybe look at the card tomorrow night. But make sure you grab the app because, like I said, it's easy to use. And it's not just betting spreads and parlays and stuff like that. The in-game betting, play-by-play betting is fantastic. And one of the ones that just about every episode when there's games, I will give you a first to score or a goal score. You get like plus 1,500, plus 2,100 on first to score. And usually anywhere between plus 250 and plus 600 on a on a goal scorer if you pick a guy to score a goal so you get fantastic payout for minimal risk if you choose to do it so uh, make sure you download the app or if not go to parkscasino.com slash pa and get all the info there and you get a 500 dollars risk-free bet to start and it, it's so easy you can use that risk-free bet on anything too on a game on a player just about anything so make sure you check it out and follow parks sportsbook on all the social media channels on twitter at park sportsbook on Instagram, YouTube, on Facebook, and great content there. They're always putting out great stuff, daily specials as well, and great stuff with Mike Quick and Natalie and Sam Wilson and all kinds of awesome stuff, Rich Gannon. So, so much cool content uh, that we're putting out via parks and great sports content as well. So make sure you follow all those social media channels. And like I said, Kevin Woodley will join us coming up in a moment. And we'll talk to Woody about all things goaltending real quick before we get to Kevin, though, as we sit here on Monday afternoon, uh, the Flyers have now won two straight and they look like a team that won two straight, but don't look like a team that's going to go on a run just yet. Now, in and we'll talk to Kevin about this in Vancouver, they made a coaching change there. They got rid of Travis Green, who I think is a really good coach, by the way. But you just they needed a change. They extended them in the offseason and still had to move on from them because it was just got so messy out in Vancouver. But they hired Bruce Boudreaux, and now all of a sudden the Vancouver Canucks have won four straight games. <laughs> and we were asked this last week, and I kind of tackled it in Flyers Daily and tackled it. I think I tackled it here as well. Somebody asked me, I was doing a radio hit on TSN 1290 in Edmonton. And the guy asked me about why do they always fire coaches in Philadelphia? And I just said, I took it a step further and said, why do they always fire coaches in the NHL in season? It's because it works. It's a shame for the coaches, the coaches, but it's not because they end up getting jobs too. But that when you make a coaching change midseason in the NHL, so often, I don't know what the numbers are on how often it does work. And it's weird because when you fire a coach, it's usually because the team's not very good or at least not performing very good. But it seems to work quite often that moving on from a coach after around two, three, four years usually is a shot in the arm to a team and they start playing better. 
And you've seen it in, in Vancouver. Now they got a lot of talent in Vancouver with, you know, Patterson who has not been playing well, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller. They have a really good goaltender who's played a ton already in Thatcher Demko. Uh, but, and they were underachieving and they bring in Bruce, Bruce. And one thing you know about Bruce, he's always, always going to drive offense. And that team all of a sudden now is a team that's surging under Bruce Boudreaux. So we'll talk to Kevin Woody, uh, Woodley about that as well. And matter of fact, he joins us right now uh, from Ingle Magazine. I see him getting ready to to get to the chair in the home studio. He's got he might have he might have forgotten that this was video included too. So he looks a little rough around the edges after a late night last night. Uh, Woody, no problem. Look at me. Try that. I look like hell. <laughs> this is definitely not a fashion get, contest. I need to get further away so we just focus on the backdrop and not me. How are you? <laughs> good. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Dude, it has not been quiet out in Vancouver. It's been quite the season. Bring in Bruce, and all of a sudden they're surging. Yeah, um, you know, it's kind of uh, a whole bunch of things have come together here. Like, obviously, the change needed to be made. Um, new voice, uh, you know, the cliche breath of fresh air, but, like, quite literally around here, it is like a breath of fresh air. And I think for the players as well, um, there was just so much negativity and such a dark cloud hanging over this team. Uh, starting from last season, and it just kind of continued into this year. Uh, there were high expectations amid some changes, but when they didn't get off to a good start, um, that it just it just snowballed, and it became pretty clear that it wasn't going to change unless changes were made around and above them. And so um, it's a little bit of everything. Like it's just change for the sake of change being needed. It's a fresh voice, um, and it's a voice that has their attention defensively we know we talk about you know goaltending and never existing in a vacuum they've been better defensively since Bruce got here but there's also the way they're doing it has changed systems uh they're playing a more up-tempo uh, more aggressive more assertive style there was a really heavy focus here uh in the offseason uh on on sort of becoming a better defensive team because quite frankly they were a team for the past three seasons that has leaned so heavily on their goaltenders and they were trying to get away from that a little bit and tighten things down a little. They brought Brad Shaw in as a coach um, to sort of help them on the defensive end. Obviously, from his time with the Columbus Blue Jackets, had a reputation of sort of being a defense, defensive whisperer. Um, but I'm not sure he got a really good defined role. That was one thing I heard from the players behind the scenes. Like, we brought this guy in, but, but he, you know, he wasn't the guy up leading the chalkboard talks. He wasn't the guy doing a lot of teaching. And that's changed since Bruce Boudreaux has come in. Uh, they're playing more on their toes. They're playing more assertive. Their penalty kill, which was not just – bad like in the low 60 percentages before the change like it wasn't just bad it was historically bad as a matter of Hideous. fact through 25 games of the season it was the worst penalty kill since the nhl started tracking penalty kill statistics no team had ever been worse through 25 games than the vancouver canucks so they've changed it up um they're more aggressive they're pursuing up ice they're forcing teams they're not just sitting back and trying to close holes and, and close seams which they didn't do successfully anyways uh and they've also expanded who's killing penalties quinn hughes is killing penalties for the first time elias Pettersson's taking a penalty kill shift uh he's got them rolling he brought in scott walker as an assistant and he's got some ideas on the pk that's largely why he's brought in um they're rolling four pairs of forward lines and and with you know trying to get out like four 30 second super aggressive fast shifts as opposed to two pairs of penalty killers and standing around in their own end and watching other teams pick them apart, which is obviously an overstatement on my part, but frankly, that's what it looked like for much of yeah. the season. So you add all those things together, plus, you know, 
Thatcher Demko is playing like a goaltender who hands down should be on the U S Olympic team right now. And Agreed. you know, it's, it's going to, uh, you're going to see better results than we have. Yeah. You know, it's funny because somebody, I did a radio hit on TSN 1290 in uh, Edmonton last week. I know you appear there as well. And he asked me, so why do they, why do they keep changing coaches in Philadelphia? And I took it a step further and said the NHL, it's because it works. It's a different messenger delivering a different message. And is it Kev? Because, you know, in hockey, every two years, generally speaking, as you move from squirt in in the United States to peewee, to bantam, to midget, you get a new voice every two years. So in the NHL, these guys are used to getting a new voice every couple of years. Yeah, maybe. I never thought of it like that. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, there there is certainly a shelf life for messages. Like, Because as much as we talk about up-tempo and the guys are having fun again here, and uh, they do feel, you know, Tyler Meyer said the other day, they feel like playing on their toes and being aggressive. Like Bruce has said, his style and his system is all about pressure. Like that's his philosophy. Stress the opponent. You know, yeah. And do yeah. it up ice if you can. And if you can't do it up ice, do it in the neutral zone. Like do it before you get into our zone. So we're not defending as much. And for a team that defends as poorly as the Canucks do. And part of that is roster construction. Like this back end um, is not great defensively, right? They have missed Chris Tana for two years after letting him walk to Calgary. So yeah you know, if you're not a great defensive team, maybe don't defend as much. And that seems to be the philosophy. It's one that's worked for Bruce before. Um, Mm -hmm. As far as voices go though, like, you know, that's true, man. There's a shelf life here, right? Like, you know, you look at, look at Washington, like Peter Laviolette, like how they've been so good defensively since he got there. But history says that's only going to last so long. Even Barry Trotz with the Islanders, like their defensive numbers have dropped this season. Defense is largely about paying attention to details within the structure your coach is defined and work rate. And eventually you get tired of hearing about those details. And sometimes your work rate slips because it's not fun to work in, in your own. It's not fun. The, no, defense isn't fun. All the right? Like that's why we're goaltenders. We get to bail out the defense and that's why we like it. Yeah, exactly. It's fun. Let, let's talk about trots real quick because, you know, there was some conjecture out there and I didn't really see it from anybody with some real credibility. Um, that if this continues on the island, that they could move on from trots. And I go, geez, if they can move on from trots, I am like knocking on his door the next day when I got a young goaltender in Carter Hart in Philadelphia and going, what do you need? Here's the check. You fill it out. Oh, amen. Absolutely. And and again, like there's no question that his message works. Um, there's no question that his style works. But like I said, I, I, I do wonder, like all coaches, if there isn't a shelf life there and you know, the Islanders last year were I, – I, there's a metric you'll hear me talk a lot, a lot about, and that's um, five-on-five high-danger uh, expected goals against when it, when it comes to assessing a defense. And the reason I use that one is because it's the one that seems to be most directly correlated between playoff success. Yeah. And, of course, I'm referencing numbers from ClearSight Analytics, who I believe to be the best at measuring shot quality. Um, and I have a look under the hood at some of the behind the scene numbers here. Well, you know, last year, the New York Islanders were fourth in the league in that metric. Uh, the year before under Barry Trotz, they were third in the league in that metric this year, right now, the New York Islanders are 15th in the league in that metric. And again, like has Barry, has Barry's message changed? Probably not. Cause it's no. pretty, pretty consistent everywhere he's gone, but even in Washington, right. We saw it drift away and then come back. For that playoff run like he got their attention defensively for that playoff run and they went on went on and won to stand the cup so it's not like it can't come back but especially in 
in, in a rate, I think it's harder to maintain it in a regular season, right? It's harder to sort of maintain yep. that focus on detail, attention to detail and work rate. And like the Islanders would be even like as bad as things are, they'd be even worse if it wasn't for Ilya Sorokin bailing, yeah. bailing them out early this season. So uh, absolutely. If, and that's a big if, because I haven't heard it either. If the Islanders were to make that move, it would be my next call for the Philadelphia Flyers, a team that, you know, frankly, hasn't defended all that well. And that's the difference there. You know, I mean, I'm not close to it like you are, but from a distance, I look at it and promoting from within wouldn't have worked here. They needed a whole new, like it needed a new voice here in Vancouver. And, and Boudreaux's got a reputation. I mean, obviously there's a personality there. Uh, there's a lot of positivity and that was needed uh, because of, like I said, there was just a dark cloud hanging over this team. Don't forget it was also the general manager who was fired uh, after eight years of sort of middling success or, or a lack of success and middling results. Um, there just needed to be a whole change. Like it needed to be a fresh voice from the outside. I don't think an in-house change here would have had anywhere near the same effect. Cause there was talk like, Hey, promote Brad Shaw while you go looking for your next head coach. Yeah. Um, but the owners, owners decided to go this way and, and you know, they've, they've clearly made the right choice again early, like four in a row. Yes. Three of the last three and three of those four in total, uh, have all been playing the second end of back-to-back games when they got so it's here favorable yeah they've had they've had sort of there's some scheduled losses in here no sebastian ajo for the hurricanes don't know if you've heard he's yeah. kind of good um mm-hmm. last night that makes a difference um but but you know credit to them too they're missing oliver ekman larson and travis hamannick and the fact that i'm about to say two top four defensemen and, and travis hamannick in the same sentence tells you about that roster yeah. construction and where they are defensively but they've done it without those guys and hamannick was playing first pair of minutes with quinn hughes so as much as the schedule in these last four has favored them um you know winnipeg came in here after a somewhat easy i hate to say easy but they came up from seattle so they didn't look like they were playing like they were suffering from the schedule um, and again, Vancouver missing two key defensemen took care of business. So, yeah. um, you know, we'll see how we'll see where it goes. I don't expect it to, to be a winning streak from now to the end of the season. Um, they're in tough regardless to make the playoffs, but at least man, it's nice not to be covering a death march. Yeah. And same thing here with the 10 game winless streak. It was like, geez, my wife has one of those Instapots, you know, and it has the steam thing on top. And I felt like when they won the game over Vegas on Friday, like the steam was coming out of my soul <laughs> just to release the pressure. Uh, by the way, Try you two made... years of that. Try yeah, two exactly. Years of that. Yeah. I mean, COVID just destroyed the Vancouver Canucks last year, but that's yeah. different this year. Um, it looks like you did have some influence, however, on the new president and interim general manager, because he is a former goaltender in Jim Rutherford and he's going to be introduced today. Yeah, he is. Uh, you love it, don't you? <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 uh, I put my foot in my mouth here the day before they announced the hiring. His name was one of three or four that had surfaced, and I was asked about it. And um, Jim Rutherford comes with an incredible uh, reputation, an incredible resume. Hall, he's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Yeah. Um, but I, again, they hadn't hired him yet, and, and I was being honest. The truth is, and this is really ironic, as a former goaltender, uh, his decisions around the position – not just in terms of goalies, but in terms of, frankly, completely disregarding the goaltending position for much of his career, the goaltending coach position for much yeah. of his year, uh, was actually troubling to me. Uh, there's not a great track record there. When he was in Carolina, it was an afterthought. Uh, he had a, you know, he had a been there, done that guy with no modern technical experience as his goalie coach. He moved him into scouting and brought somebody in when that person uh, wanted a bigger role and more money and, and left. It was Tom Barrasso rather than going out and finding a modern goalie coach. He just brought back the guy he'd moved to scouting. Like 
you know, in an era where everybody was beefing up at the position, he didn't. He fired a two-time Stanley Cup winning goaltending coach the day after a Stanley Cup parade. Like, if I'm honest, from a goalie union standpoint, despite the fact he played the position, um, you know, I was kind of critical. The good news is they've got Ian Clark here under under contract for the next four years, and Thatcher yeah. Demko has already gone on record as how important he is. So I would hope and think that unlike what happened in Pittsburgh – uh, where he inherited a great goaltending situation and kind of screwed it up pretty quickly. Well, really. uh, they will go with the status quo and just let them be here. Yeah, just kind of. If you're not going to value it, then just don't f with it. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I think you know what. I, honestly, I haven't had a chance to have this conversation. I hope to. I hope. I hope being as as upfront as uh, I was about my thoughts, which are shared around the goaltending coach community. Yeah. Um, you it's know, crazy that he's a former goalie and he just doesn't well, but, die. But he played in an era where they didn't need that, right? Like yeah. He, you know, I wonder if that, and he's got a grandson who's a goalie. So he, he's not, I'm not, I'm not an idiot. Not he's, oblivious, not, yeah. he's not totally ignorant to the position. There's no way. So whatever happened there, uh, we'll have to get a better, you know, but, but again, from the outside and the way the goaltending coach community in the National Hockey League perceived it. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know that I want any, any friends by my analysis of it. And I, I'm not sure that. You know, this is one that even though he's a former goalie, the goalie union would have jumped up and down about. Although I am dying again, if I hope to have those conversations, like he comes from a gen, like he's one of the original, like the OGs with the sweet masks, you know, uh-huh. remember the Red Wings oh, like, yeah. logo over the right. eyelids, yeah. like eyebrows. That was one of the all time greats. So, um, you know, like I said, hopefully, uh, hopefully things move forward here. And he does his magic with the rest of the roster because is, uh, you know, he's, he's made some great decisions in past stops. He's got three Stanley Cups. He's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. Uh, hopefully just leaves the goalies alone here. Yeah, and two different teams, Carolina, the Cup, and then obviously two in Pittsburgh. Okay, let's talk about the Flyers. Let's talk about Carter because, you know, you talked to Carter quite a bit. He, he's featured on IngleMag.com, the website, and Pro Reads, and and he's like a, a, a always an interesting case study in a lot of ways of the young modern goaltender and the technical abilities and the control and the precision and the efficiency, all words that – a lot of people hear and they go, what are these just catch words or something like that? But no, they're massively important. And I've been, he's had a few hiccup games like the Tampa game where he got pulled with 11 minutes to go in the second, but he rebounded in New Jersey. And then he rebounded in Vegas. His mental game seems stronger. He seems stronger in the, the, you know, his pushes and his bottom half of his body put on muscle. What have you seen out of Carter so far this season? Well, I mean, I think you've seen him closer than I have, right? And and unfortunately, when they came through town here, it was back, again back to back situation. Didn't get an opportunity to really have a have a long chat. Um, you know, I'm a big fan. I've I've had a chance to to be on the ice with him as far back as like you know some Hockey Canada consulting work when he was in the World Junior program. Um, I have, think I have an understanding of his foundation. I work with some of the people that sort of uh, have worked with him. And there is a real efficiency to his game when he's at his best that I thought he got away from last year. I thought he became a guy who maybe, I don't know if he chased changes in his game there, like tried to do things differently, but it sure looked like he was chasing changes and it left him chasing the game. I've seen more of the old Carter this year um, off and on. I'll be honest. I watched that first Vancouver game early in the season where they came into town closely. And I think it was actually, I was a little worried after watching that game. It was a real juxtaposition to me. Um, and one that I would actually, you know, if, if people want to compare Carter on and Carter off that first Vancouver game in Philadelphia is Carter off. Like that's not yeah. Carter at its best. Even I remember he made a five on three save on Alex chase on. Um, but if you look at the mechanics of the way he moved, like it was a desperation move into a spot instead of a track down and rotation into that spot. And what it left him was 
desperate 911 on the first save that I think is a save he can make with proper rotation and still stay over the puck and stay in control. But he was out of control and had no chance on the rebound. Extreme example, it's a five on three. It was a tough save, the first one in the first place. But when I look at that game, when I look at the sharp angle one that, that got into his skates and JT Miller back home, even back banked in from the goal line, even when I look at the one that went off the boards, like to me, that is Carter reading the play, anticipating the play versus Carter tracking the play. And like, it's a sliding scale for every goaltender. And when I, I think when he's at his best, he's tracking the play. And when he's anticipating, like it's a fine line between anticipating and guessing in today's game. Mm -hmm. And when you're moving rather than tracking, when you're just going to spots without watching, the way he moves is tied so much to tracking. All his efficiency sort of builds off that top-down, head-first movement. When he loses that, and it's hard to maintain when the game speeds up and things get crazy. And that's the other thing that's made Carter great is he has the ability to go outside that box and lose his technique and just compete, right? Like, yeah. like you can't just technique your way through a National Hockey League career. He has that other ability. I just found that it looked like he was going to it sooner like it, you got to get desperate sometimes, yeah. but if it's all the time and it's early in sequences, you want it to be on that third or fourth save, not after the first pass and the, and, and, and one shot. Right. So um, part of that's just experience. Part of that's just the pace of the game. Uh, I think, you know, I did wonder last year, part of it was, um, you know, maybe voices pulling him away from what I thought. And I, and I still think is his foundation, but I, I see him sticking – and that was going to be my question this year. Does he go back to his foundation or does he chase change? I've seen more of the foundation this year. Yeah. Um, like you said, there's always going to be blips. Let's be honest. We talk about goaltending never existing in a vacuum. They're a bottom third defensive team, especially when it comes to high danger chances. Um, I just looked it up. They're, they're 24th. That metric I talked about earlier, they're yeah. 24th in the National Hockey League in that one. That's not good. That's not a good goaltending environment. Uh, when you're down there alongside Vancouver and, and, and Detroit and Arizona. Um, and that can test a young goaltender to stick with your foundation because it's better. Like all goalies, like a better, like a good defensive environment, but it's, it's a little spot to spot. It's just easier to sort of stick with it when, when you trust what's going on in front of you and you can trust your reads and Carter reads the game really well too. Um, but when things start to come unglued in front of you, it's hard to trust those things. Yeah, you want, as a goalie, you want the element of as much predictability as you can get. Perfect and, word. Yeah, I mean, you will just want to know that that guy on the back door is covered and tied up, and so I can make myself big here on the short side, on the puck side of the ice. Well, and it's even, like, it's funny because we always use the back door one, and I always used to use the example of Edmonton when they were spitting out goaltenders and they couldn't defend to save their lives. I always used to say, like, you know, like, when the guy's supposed to have the back door pass, like, and it's his job as a defenseman, and the first nine get through, you're going to start leaning on the 10th. And yep. in this league, as soon as you lean, dead. they're picking you short side. You're dead. Mm -hmm. But it's even like it, that's, I almost feel sometimes like that's too simple an example because that's too extreme a, a save mm -hmm. situation. It can be as simple, and we've seen it here in Vancouver with this struggling penalty kill. I talked about how historically bad it was. Um, their goals going in through screens that some people in this market were like, oh, like, like that's Demko. He's got to get that one. And I'm like, well, actually, the system is that when it's a one-man screen, the goalie takes the short side, and yep. the defenseman's responsible for filling the middle lane. Like, as a goaltender, you have to pick a side of a screen. Always the short side, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are some that vary, but for the yep. most part, you're right. It's always the short side for two reasons. The path from the puck to the short side of the net shorter. is actually shorter than the far side. And so if I'm in that space, that's where it can beat me first. Uh -huh. 
and I have more time to get across. If I, if I'm looking short side and the puck goes far side, I can get it sliding, get around into that. I've got more time because it's further away. And because there's usually more bodies in the middle of the ice for it to hit. So it's more likely. So that's where we go. And, but we trust our defensemen to be in that middle lane. And here in Vancouver, the defensemen either a weren't in the right lane or quite frankly, they don't have anybody who really is a shot blocking defenseman here. And so they weren't eating those pucks and they were going in on Thatcher Demko. A lot of people like, Oh, he's got to stop that. And it's like, no, actually that's not his job. And again, as soon as you start cheating, Oh crap. He's not going to take that lane. I better go middle on this. Now they've picked me short side. Now it is your fault, but not a lot of people really understand that, but it really is about, we do that pro reads at Ingle where NHL goalies walk us through reads of their saves. And it's, it's awesome. We do it once a week at inglemag.com and it's been huge. Like, so basically a video session with a national hockey league goaltender walking us through what they see in front of them and why they make a certain save selection, why they choose that depth on the ice why they go into a certain post integration based on what i always thought it would be based on what the opponent is doing and a lot of it is what hand a shot is like the reads blow me away the details oh, the details insane in, oh, in real time but the one thing that has jumped out at me we've now done over a hundred of them so almost two years worth and what blows me away is the amount of times those reads are not just based on the shooters and the opponents so much of it is based on I know my defenseman is going to do this so I can go there and so it just has reiterated that learning process for me has just absolutely reiterated the importance of being able to trust that system because so many of those reads are based on it look at the the, the screenshot I just put up this is a picture I tweeted out Kev this is a a ranger power play and there is look at this Carter's got to be up to see over because there's a layered screen. You have a, a, a Ranger player here, a staggered Ranger player here, Braun. So it, the, the people don't realize sometimes, Kev, that the screen is is more than just the opposition. It's also the defenseman that's attached to the opposition. Yeah, Because no, cr- you can't see around it. Yeah, and layered screens are a big one. Like that's the thing when we talk yep. about clear sight analytics, it's one of the only ones I know of that actually measures uh, uh, factor screens um into sort of shot quality and when i when i click on screens it is one two three four five six six sorry nothing like counting on live television or internet um (laughs) there's six different types of screens and so they account for like it's just a simple defensive screen offensive screen those are actually like that simple offensive screen is the easiest one so as much as we do want the defenseman in their right lane that still is one that a goaltender should be able to manage even on the power play um the ones that, that, that uh, like anything in the slot area or layered, like you start getting up like screen one timers and layered screens, you start getting up into high danger chances. And most yep. models don't even account for that because they're not looking for screens. It's not included in the, in the data they, they use to, to determine shot quality and screens play a huge role. And so that one you showed me there, that's a layered screen. That's, that's one of the toughest ones. You're right. You're seeing Carter, you got a battle to find that puck. Um, interestingly enough, like I didn't see the whole sequence, but the one thing I would say is, uh, the temptation at times when you can't find that puck is to retreat a little bit. And when I looked at that screen cap you had there, like I didn't see a lot of back door, everything was flanked and in front. So yep. you could probably, I'm guessing if he were to look at that and that's the best part of our pro reads with Carter is he's always honest about what he could do better. I'm guessing he might, you know, I'm not sure how that play ended. But I'm guessing he would have wanted to be a little further up in his crease because mm-hmm. there, as he battles for that sight line, because there weren't any backdoor threats or guys hanging out on the on on those sides, 
And I know Carter moves well enough that he can beat the, the play to the flank. That said, when you can't see the pass up there, that's the thing. If he passes off to the flanks, you're looking for the puck to try and guess the shot. Yeah. He passes to the flanks. Now you're late moving. You, you know, you, being deeper allows you to shorten those distance. So that's why, again, as a goaltender, once we can't see that puck, the instinct is to retreat. I'm yep. almost willing to bet he probably would look at that same clip and go, yeah, I wish I maybe took a little more ice here. Yeah, because you're right. There's nobody down in an area that's going to get that, – that caused him to have to travel a far distance. And the and that 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 play result was Truba from the point with a low shot. He sees him up. Good read by Truba, right? Sees the goalie come up, and the law of inertia, it's once you're coming up, it's hard to go back down as quickly if you're not already in a set position. Yeah, and, and, but it's again, the other thing too is like uh, that puck's not it, like it's so far out that mm-hmm. you're doing whatever you can to find that. And so, if that means getting up, that means getting up because usually, you've find usually the yeah, it's just a yeah. matter of finding battling and finding that sight line. And that was, I mean, that was a that was a god awful mess in front of him. That was a layered screen from the opposition and two forwards uh, from his or two, de- two defenders from his own team in his way. So, um, sometimes those are going to find their way through all those bodies and you don't have much of a chance. The other thing too, as much as I talked about depth, is you know, the toughest ones for goaltenders on those situations, like broken plays are another statistics that, that we account for. And those are oh. ones that just hit a body and go. And when you've got that much traffic in front of you, even though you don't have a backdoor threat per se, you have to know that the worst one are the ones that hit that traffic in front of you. If it hits you, even if you just make the save and you let out a rebound, at least you know where the rebound is going because you felt the puck. Yeah. If it hits those bodies, now you may not have seen the shot because of the difficult degree of difficulty of the um, screen. Now it's hit something. It's you never saw where it was going in the first place. You got no idea where it's going. So again, we tend to retreat because that all of a sudden those net front guys, as much as they may not be backdoor guys for a pass as the net front guys, they can, they they'll peel off and they'll be able to find those rebounds or not even rebounds, those, those broken plays off of legs in front of you. And the deeper you are, the easier it is to sort of stay in your net and recover, you know, side to side to those positions, as opposed to if I'm out on top of my crease, that's a lot more space I have to recover on the broken plays. Yeah. Th- those are the hell ones. Cause you don't know where a puck's coming off on a shin pad or something. Oh, like it's, that. it's one of the biggest increases in offense of the past two years is like broken plays. And, and it's why, I don't poo-poo the old schoolers that talk about, um, you know, pucks and traffic and all the cliches because broken plays create a ton of goals. What I do dismiss a little bit is, is teams that get stuck in their ways and say the only way to like point shots, point shots, point shots. Actually the number one way or the increase, the most increasing way to create those broken plays is actually pucks out of corners and from behind the net into those traffic areas off of skates, off of legs, mm-hmm. uh, attempting to go back door down through low slot line plays. Like, it's one of the biggest problems here in Vancouver. They try to run everything through the points and it just like that's that's become a little old school. And now under Boudreaux, they're trying to run a lot of low high stuff. Um oh, and even hell when for it's a not a, well, hell for defensemen too. Think about yep. it. They, gotta turn your back. From, yeah, you gotta turn your head as a goaltender, turn your head on what's in front of you. So you lose where they are because you're watching the puck behind the net. And you have to be very careful when you look off. So you're going like this, yeah. With defensemen, it's the exact same thing for defensemen. They, they've got their back turned to the most dangerous players on the ice because they have to watch the puck carry behind them. And In I the don't most understand, frankly. <laughs> I actually think, personally, like a pet theory, um, save percentages up this year in the National Hockey League. Uh, I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago. It's actually dipped since I wrote it, so jinx. Um, <laughs> but it was up to 913 at the quarter bowl this year from 908 last year. Uh, that is the lo- first time it's increased in six years and the largest increase in over 20. 
And I actually think a lot of it is, hey, there's teams like, you know, Daryl Sutter's Flames that, you know, are, are Barry Trotz in it. They're paying attention to defensive yeah. details. But I think there's a lot of teams that are, I've gone back to settling for those point shots and what we as goalies call the 99 percenters. Yeah. Like, sure, if you got a bunch of traffic like that clip you showed with Carter, sure. If you don't have that traffic, I'm stopping. Not only am I stopping that every time, I shouldn't say I am a crappy deer leaguer. Not only are they stopping it every time, they're controlling where it goes. And all you're yeah. doing is making them feel good about their game and patting their save percentage. And I honestly think talking to players and people and around the league that that's one of the reasons we're seeing a near historic rise in save percentage this season. Again, the last, since I wrote the story, it's dipped by almost a full point, but still it's going to go up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, is because t- too many teams are sort of settling for those point shots rather than trying to create those traffic and those opportunities down low. Yeah, the low to high play is just, it's hell that, for everyone because the, the the passes are coming to the most dangerous area and you get your back to it. L- let's talk about that real quick volume because, Kev, I talk about it all the time. It's not about quantity, it's about quality. And, you know, oh, the Flyers outshot their opponent. Well, they lost five to one. I don't give a crap. And they got out high danger. But Carter has a record of 14-1-1 when he sees 38 or more shots in the NHL. He, he's, I think he's 10-0 and 0 when he's got 41 saves in a game. <laughs> I mean, these are insane numbers. And general public doesn't go – they go, well, it's more shots. How is he performing so well in that situation? But break down why that's good for a goalie. And it's not about quantity, but it is about quality. And you just said it. You know, those 99 percenters that go out in the yard with your kid in a baseball glove and a, and a ball and play catch. That's what you're doing with a goalie on a clear sighted shot from the point. Well, in the end, it's, you know, and listen, like, the reality is I don't, I don't have the ability to look at all those games. And, and you know, if, if I had a list of them, I could pull them up and go through game by game and see how mm-hmm. many of those 41 save nights were, you know, 12 high dangers and how many of them were five. Yeah. What I find is that increasingly there are a lot of teams in the Canucks were one of them where they, you know, they kept saying the same thing. Our five on five game is good. We're, we're generating chances. We're out shooting. Opponents. And it's like, no, well, actually no, like you're not out chancing opponents. Like you're definitely not out chancing opponents. And they were like, they were making a lot of guys look like Vesna winners. And so I'm not saying that's every time Carter's had those, those four, whatever the number was, 40 plus saves or 38 plus saves. Um, but you know, commonly there are a lot of goalies with those numbers. Pekka Rene yeah. used to be one, right? Yeah. And Pekka's a guy. Yeah. Like, and Pekka's a guy who, really thrived on feeling the puck and getting into a game. As a matter of fact, when, when Laviolette first went there and they became a low event team, he really struggled. And so that's, that's actually why Pecorino becomes such a great puck handler because he wasn't engaged in the game. So his mind would wander and like, it was, it was tough, right? Like everybody assumes all oh, less shots must be better for a goalie. Nope. Not every goalie thrives in that because it can be tough when you don't see a shot for five minutes or when your team's peppering the guy at the other end, if that thought comes into your mind that, oh, man, that guy down there standing on his head, man, I better make the next save. Like, that's mm-hmm. the last thing you want as a goaltender. But it's human nature. Um, so some of those low-shot nights, like if you have six high-danger chances on a 20-shot night versus six high-danger chances on a 40-shot night, like especially a guy like Carter who's so clean and efficient, he's probably not giving up many low-percentage goals. So those, like you said, those are just those just fuel your confidence when you're making those easy saves. And it's going to be an interesting thing for me here in Vancouver, not to switch it back to the Canucks, but you know, Bruce Boudreaux has very much preach shot mentality here. And, and I understand why, because they've got some skilled players that have been holding on to Fox from dangerous areas. Um, but they've also, as they pressure more, they're creating a lot more odd man rushes. And that's the one spot where I don't know that you want a shot mentality. Cause mm-hmm. we saw last night, like, and it's Tyler Mott, 
coming down the wing on a two-on-one. And he got into what a lot of people, and frankly, a lot of websites would tell you is a high danger area, you know, in the slot on a two-on-one straight. But it was a straight line. It was a straight line attack. And he went high blocker on Anthony Ranta. And it was like a freaking can of corn for Anthony. Just right here. Didn't even move. Didn't even drop. Didn't even go down. Super (laughs) easy. I guarantee you on most public sites, that was a high danger chance. Because of the spot. Yeah. Straight, yeah, because of the because of the location, and I get it. If you are attacking us in straight lines, the closer you get, the less net there is. It's yep. simple geometry, and most goaltenders. This isn't ten years ago. This isn't five. Goaltenders understand that. As you close, as long as I'm patient, that net behind me is getting smaller and smaller and smaller relative to the puck. The closer yep. you get, if you make that pass and manage to succeed, that chance to score, especially if it's a quick shot goes up by more than three times. And so that's where that shooting mentality doesn't just become about point shots and stuff, but I worry about it here becoming if they're shooting on every two on one, rather than trying to make plays, those are the, those are the ones where I'd like to see you make some plays and make some passes because all of a sudden that's a 35% chance and not a 10. And so, um, you know, again, sometimes defensemen do a good job of taking it away, but, um, you know, I just, I just think that uh, understanding that as, as, as a goaltender and understanding that, you know, even on a 40 shot night, if, if we've got a bunch of them that are, that are the low percentage ones, that's going to fuel a lot of goaltenders games. Now on the flip side, it's still volume and still opportunities to make a mistake as a goaltender. And mm-hmm. if you make a mistake on those low danger ones, like I think the stat clear site had, and I haven't had it updated, but I remember Steve Valakat given to me like a year and a half ago, you lose 87% of the games in which your goaltender gives up a low percentage goal. Like if your goalie gives up a, a clear low percentage goal, the stinker that, that the math says is a stinker, 87% of the time you lose. We've seen it anecdotally what it does to a bench, but that's just the reality. The only time you don't is unless the other goalie reciprocates with a bad one of his own. So yeah. obviously if I see 45 shots and seven are high danger and a couple mid danger, and then the rest are low danger. Like that, it's an easier night, and it can fuel my confidence. But it's also an opportunity to make a mistake. So you still have to give credit to the goalies who don't give those up. Like Carter yeah. still gets credit for you know again staying engaged. And yes, that's easier when you're busy, but not making a mistake in those games that would cost his team um, arguably even more so than a high, you know than a whole bunch of high. Like you can build momentum making a bunch of high danger saves and inspire your team. You yep. can take the life right out of your team and your chances of winning by giving up, you know, even one on those 30 easy shots. Yeah. And so stopping those is, is, you know, I, it's one of the things I used to evaluate at the end of the year, not just how did the guy do overall, but what's he, where was he on the low percentage stuff? Yeah. And the thing is too, is, you know, this, you've played a position, anybody who's ever played it knows it. You make a couple really big saves early in a game. You turn around and look at your net, grab your water bottle off the top. And that net looks like it's this big. When yeah, you I give up know. a couple, I don't, of, I don't know what it's. I don't know what it's like to make a bunch of big saves early in the game. I don't know what you're talking. You about. give up a couple laughers though early. You turn around and that net looks like a soccer goal. <laughs> that I know. That's a feeling I know. Yeah, I, I, that, the, that when I talk about the what your bench letting down and looking at you, like believe me, that's the one I know. My beer league team will tell you that's exactly the one I know all about. <laughs> um, real quick, let me tell the people uh, about our sponsor, Parks Casino, and the sportsbook app. Uh, make sure you download the app. Go to the app store. Get it. It's so easy to use. We'll give out NHL plays. We would to night but there's no games and new customers will get that $500 risk-free bet just for signing up and make sure you follow park sportsbook on twitter on instagram on youtube facebook all the different channels at park sportsbook kev let's talk real quick about 
it's funny because Marty Berdor was a guy that could handle a low shot volume and perform well. I think that's why he was such a good puck handler because he wanted to get out there and handle it. Hey, that's why Pecorino, like, I, I'm not joking. That's why Pecorino has an empty net goal on his career. Yeah. Like, I remember one year, like, he, he very conscious effort. We've seen other guys. Andre Vasilevsky handles it more. When the, when Tampa mm-hmm. became a better defensive team, it took him half a season to adjust. Now, there was a mental component with their mental coach. Uh, he used to work for Hockey Canada. Um, and then there was also sort of that physical component. Okay, stay engaged by handling the puck more. Pecs used to go out. I remember I did a story for NHL.com where it was like, we do an annual Christmas story, and it was like, what skill, if you could take one skill from one of your peers in the NHL and add it to your game, what would it be? Like, we could just have it under the tree. And it was like, Carey Price's movement and all these things. And one guy was like, Pekka Renee's ability to stop a rim. Like, that thing would be, you know, the rules, if it's on the glass, leave it be. If it's on the, you know, if it's on the ice, go get it. Um, it there's actually probably a better way of saying that that rhymes. But um, Pex would go get everything behind the net. Like, he would, like, body slam. He would go into, like, the boards, like, he would butterfly slide into the boards or go yeah. into the VH in the boards to stop a rim because he just wanted that was Pex was an active goaltender. And so taking him out of an active goaltending environment really messed with him. And so that was his way of engaging. Yeah. And he was so good at it. And he got rewarded with an empty net goal late in his career that was 100% about him adjusting to low shot volume games and getting so good at that area of the game as a result. Yeah, absolutely. I love the when a goalie gets an ENG. I mean, that that's awesome. I remember I sent you, and I know you guys, I tagged you in it, and you retweeted it. Uh, the local goalie here in, in the Philadelphia area that plays for the Junior Flyers, uh, Rocco. Who, Beautiful. I mean, how quick did he get that sucker out of his glove? Yeah, Rocco and you know, Bruno's 22. Name. Yeah, and, and shout out to him because he sent me a note um, as well. And so I asked him some questions like, hey, like, let's not just like celebrate this empty net goal. But it, it was pretty clear the way he caught that puck, the way he laid it down in a specific spot. It was pretty darn clear to me that, you know, um, he'd practiced this. And and he said, yeah, so like he had practiced it. We talk about Pekka again. It's, it's all about repetition, right? You talked about Broder. What's the one thing Marty told us? We've talked to, with him about mm-hmm. this a few times how he became a great puck handler by handling the puck. There are so many times we got young goalies listening. You'll be at practice and practice will be down at the other end. And so you're having a little break. Don't grab some pucks, find a teammate who's not involved in that drill or another coach yeah, and pass. have them go back. And Marty used to have guys go back and forth at the blue line. He'd time the passes off the wall, bank passes, like, no, almost no minor hockey goalie coaches actually give goalies time to work on the on handling the puck. So make sure you find it. And Rocco, the way he caught that, laid it down in a spot. He said he'd done that hundreds of times, the exact same spot. So Here he knows it's muscle memory. Here you go. Here it is. He's in there. He's engaged outside the blue line. Caught it. Boom. Drops it. Got everything on it. Boom. And the celly's great too. <laughs> Love it. Love it. I need, one, awesome. I need one of those as a, in my hockey pool. They give 10 points for an empty net goal. So um, <laughs> I, 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 need one, I need one of those. And I told the, Freddie Anderson, my goalie, I told him after the game last night that we need one of those this year, Freddie, just so you know. Yeah, you need an ENG. Um, real quick, let's get to a couple of Twitter questions. I'm going to let you get on your way because I know you got the introductory press conference for um, – for Jim Rutherford, yeah, Jim Rutherford today, and I'm sure you're going to put them on the grill. Um, but we got we got a bunch of goalies that are, are always messaging me. I know they follow you on Twitter as well. And one of the questions here that uh, was asked from Jared is regarding RVH and VH. He said, "Have NHL players quote figured out VH and RVH? I see so many short side shot attempts more than ever before, and because because of it, more goals from sharp angles, especially glove side 
short side. Uh, he said it was definitely an issue for Hart last year, but I see it around the league. Thanks. That's Jared. So uh, are players figuring out there's always an adjustment. You know, goalies are trying to stay ahead of the shooters. The shooters are trying to stay ahead of the goalies. It's the pitcher versus the hitter debate. Where well, are you then, seeing this right now? So, like, there's no one answer. Great question. There's no one answer here. Like, like everything, there's a sliding scale of why those goals go in different reasons. Um, I think shooters have known about this for a while. Like, goalie coaches, the same goalie coaches that are teaching RVH are the ones that are also leading the pre-scout on how to score on the other goaltender. Yep. And so there are habits of, for guys on the way it's executed that can lead to that exposure. Now, interestingly enough, um, not to digress here, but Marc-Andre Fleury, who just won his 500th game, uh, is gone away on the glove side for that exact same reason as your question. On the glove side, he felt like he had exposure over, over the short side shoulder. Mm -hmm. And he felt like when he went traditional VH on the glove side that he had a hole under his blocker. So if you watch him now, he's using an overlap a lot more this year. Not all the time, but a lot more. And it's a great example of a goalie making an adjustment because he felt like there was exposure in his RVH that was being exploited. So, yeah, absolutely, guys are looking for that shot. Um, and, and, and the overlap the, for people real quick, you overlap the butterfly. Post, and now you're just, yeah. you're just, you're cutting that angle more. It's basically a butterfly. But if you think about this folks, you can't butterfly with your skate on the post on a sharp angle. Mm -hmm. If you do, if you think about your skates on the post and you drop into a butterfly, what that does, if this is the post and I, if this is the post and I drop, what happens if my skates against the yeah. post and I drop, it pushes my body away from the post and I expose that short side. So yeah. we overlap with our outside skate outside straight. the post so we can keep that short side sealed when we go down into a butterfly. It also frees up the skate because that's the skate. You know, if I go to the, my glove side post and I drop into a butterfly, but I need to recover back to my right post, I do that with my left skate. If it's up against the post and my knees are outside, I need to free it to get that knee up and make that push by having it outside the post. It's, it's freer already. I can, I can make that push without having to disengage it from the post. So that's why we use an overlap outside the post yep. when we butterfly on dead angles. That's why it's called overlap. Um, but there's weaknesses there too. Like an overlap puts me outside of the net. Yeah. Like if that guy on the sharp angle now funnels it, and we talked about how many goals are scored on broken plays off dead angles and for out of the corners, if that guy now funnels it out to the front of the net, I got to really trust my defense because I'm not in the net. I'm yeah. outside of my post when I butterfly like that. I got that. further to travel. Right. And, and now Flurry's fast enough to recover, but here's mm -hmm. the reality is an RVH keeps you in the net. Those broken plays, like – You've got coverage. That's one of the reasons that our, even compared to VH, VH sort of put most of your body in the post. RVH puts most of your body, it keeps it in the net. Yeah. So even as much as we focus on the ones that beat a goalie high, short side, or get banked in off the side of their mask, I think I find too often what we don't know, we don't notice or nobody takes note of is the amount of saves that are made on those pucks that get funneled into skates and stuff, or the cross ice ones that actually get through because the RVH, perhaps like no position before, has allowed us to seal the short side and engage and disengage and get into the middle of the net, be in the, be in the middle of the net while we're on the post, like have more of ourselves in the net. And that's one of the reasons it works. So, um, yeah, shooters have figured it out. If you're in it too early, if you execute it poorly and that space is available, yeah, they have. But I, I do think that as much as for, for Flower, and I commend them on this, because it came on the advice of Kevin Lankinen, who he was watching do it differently. Here's Flower headed to the Hall of Fame, 500 wins. I think Kevin Lankinen's got 42 career wins. 
This is why the Marc-Andre Fleury's and the Roberto Luongo's are first ballot Hall of Famers, because they never stop evolving. Even if this is to go away from a modern technique to something a little more old school, they never stop looking for solutions. They never stop taking advice and trying new things. So there's a lesson there for young goalies. Yeah. But the other lesson is, this is we see this all the time. It's a little less on, on Twitter now than it used to be. Every time one of those goals went in, we'd see the hashtag RVH, RVH fail. fail. It's not an RVH fail. It's a failed RVH. Yeah. The position works when executed properly. Sometimes it's premature. The one big one, and I, and this is the one thing too, like if you're small, like if you're like, you know, find other ways, right? Like find other ways, find other solutions. Don't be in there too early. Hold your edges longer. There's a lot of different ways. Like, but I watched like Thatcher Demko and, and Jacob Marks from 6'4", 6'5", and they execute the RVH magnificently and they don't give up these goals. Now, part of that is their size, but the part that people don't realize, and I find that, so I don't want to say this is for everyone because the small little 13 year old probably still doesn't still can't get his shoulder to the post, even if he does this properly, but that inside edge, the one that's in on the goal line, sort of the vertical leg in, in, in the VH vertical horizontal, it stands for the one that's up that inside edge and your alignment should be 30 degrees off the goal line. Mm -hmm. And that in, it should not be a passive position that inside edge. Not only does it drive your short side seal, like it's an anchor that pushes you into that post, but it should be an engaged edge that has the ability to actually activate and push the shoulder right up to the yeah. post. You watch Demko and Markstrom, yeah, you're if they get passive in, <clears throat> they're always up and down. The net damn near comes off, they have so much power because yeah. that inside edge is engaged and active, and they're able to get that shoulder up to the post. You also watch Thatcher, especially on the blocker side, and the glove remains active. So he's into that blocker side post, backside edges maintained so he can push up with the blocker and that glove is hands out. out. I see him catch pucks all the time on that drill. So mm -hmm. um, again, I'm not saying it's the perfect answer to everything, but I will say that a lot of times we go, oh, the shooters have figured out the goalies need to get off their bloody knees and stand up, which drives me nuts, by the way, because um, watch how many goals go in if we all started standing up. Yeah, uh, yeah they don't see all the is, saves because of the element of the selection. Right, and I do that think that it, it, it kind of amazes me, frankly, how many goalies in the National Hockey League lose that backside edge um, when they're in RVH. They let it drift down below the goal line. Uh, and, and lose that inside edge engagement that you're right they get flat yeah. uh it's just it becomes a passive position and it is vulnerable you're absolutely right if i if if i was doing a pre-scout and i saw a goalie that can you know either was too small or uh continuously dropped that inside edge and lost it 100 i'm looking for that short side bank shot because mm -hmm. i know he doesn't have that engagement to push up and out of that yeah um last thing for you kev what, what are we doing as a goalie union to combat the Michigan goals. We saw Zegers last week uh, get that puck to Sonny Milano and bat it out of the air. Now, the reason why I ask it, and I'm not the fun police. Like, they're fun. I get it, the whole thing. I had one scored on me in a beer uh, league game when we were up well, eight to nothing. Right? Well, yeah, but you were a happy guy on that one. Well, I mean, he did it so good, I had to stick tap him. Normally, I would have chased him down the ice and... and good for you. And, and co-hoed him across the head, but he did it so well. But... The, the thing that I'm fearful of with these attempts is that you you have a stick up high and you can catch something in the eye. That's uh, what yeah, I'm yeah. fearful of. So, so two things here. One, I've had this expressed to me from a lot of NHL goalie coaches, like guys getting whacked in the head with a stick. Yeah. Um, so it is a legit thing. I think we lose, I'm going to be honest with you. Like it's legit. It's a legitimate concern. Um, the goalie union, somebody may be knocking on my door to take my card away after I say this. So I, I, I say this, I'm risking something here. 
I think we lose our ability to make arguments about eye protection when we insist on wearing cat eye cages that the blade of a stick can fit through. Like that's mm-hmm. our call, right? We've seen sticks get through there. We've seen corneas get scratched. We've seen some scary incidents, but that's our call. Like, like up here in Canada, you can't wear a cat eye cage in, in minor hockey. It has to, it has to be because the gap's too big. Yeah. Um, it's, it's illegal. You can't, even, you can't even, I can't even buy it and get it across the border. Like it, it's not illegal, but it's like, it's like, uh, it's like goods that aren't allowed into the country. Supposedly no. there's Don't prohibition on the cat eye. Don't tell anyone, but I have one. Um, cause be we're broken. all idiots. Uh, and we, and we prioritize vision, right? Cause our job is to see the puck, but the reality is exactly. So, but the re- and, and by the way, Jason, I see some really bent bars there. Uh, Darren yeah, Millard, our, our host at Ingo Magazine, uh, Ingo Radio Podcast, will be all over you. Get those repaired. Once I got a those- dangler at least. Yeah, you got a dangler. But once those bars are bent like that, means the welds behind it have actually been compromised yep. so they could split on you and end up in your face, and that gets nasty. Um, but uh, my point, back to the original point, I don't think we have an argument on the eye thing because we don't do enough to protect ourselves. So that's going to fall on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. The old stick rattled off the head. Um ears ring it's no good you're probably not getting conkied by it so i know the goalie coaches don't like it i've heard a lot of them and i'm not trying to be you know insensitive to it but i just think the michigan is a reality we're gonna have to live with um it's not a high stick because it's below the bar we're on our knees maybe part of the solution is less so uh, to be honest with you, the easy answer is execute a proper, like, even if you're in RBH that, you know, and you're using your windows and you're seeing the puck and you're picking your sight lines and you're getting in and that edge is engaged, you can get that shoulder up there. The other thing, I think definitely talking to guys last year when it became popular, uh, goalies around the league talked about and about, about their defensemen too. recognition when it's coming yep. and, and, and knocking it down. Like, yeah. Like just, it, it, it's so hard to execute. Like you, you don't need to get a body on the guy. Just get a stick on that stick, right? Yeah. Like the only thing so, I worry about too now is stick coming up to hit a stick that's elevated and catching somebody else in the face. I, I, the reality is high yeah. sticks are a reality of our game. Yep. And, and, and I don't want to be the fun police, man. I, I like, it's a hell of a move. Let's, let's have it. We're, we're already like, as goalies, we're already so far ahead of the curve. We'll figure it out. Let's let these shooters, you know, they'll get a, they'll get a, they'll thing. get obsessed. They'll have their highlight moments, but what they won't realize is in the, in 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 that moment, and those highlight real goals, they probably sacrifice like an offensive chance that would generate ninety percent better chance of scoring. So let them have their fun. Yeah, I, I got a solution. As soon as they go into that to scoop it or whatever, the goalie just pivots out and just lays them out. What do you think Hexy would have done? Oh, man. <laughs> there would have been some sticks broken for sure. Yeah. Rob ba- Rob Brown didn't even try that, and Hexy chased him down the ice uh, back in the day. Um, Kevin, this is awesome. I really appreciate you j- jumping on the Stick to Hockey Live podcast. As always, I love talking to you. Uh, go to the introduction of uh, Jim Rutherford. You can follow Kevin on uh, Twitter, at Kev's and Goal. Also, at Ingolmag. Um premium subscriptions there i am a premium member proud to say it um i i love the pro reads i love the pro drills every element of it if you have a goalie in your family it would be a great christmas present we have gift subscriptions it's real easy like that you can have the subscription by the by an hour later as a gift ingolmag.com is where you go for that and i would say like if you're not a goalie you'll learn something if you are a goalie um we'll make you a better goalie and it's not us it's nhl goalies and goalie coaches sharing drills tips instructions uh, off ice nutrition training all kinds of stuff like again for 50 bucks a year canadian which is like two cups of coffee in the states um 50 bucks a year canadian is a subscription site 
but there is nowhere else where you will actually have NHL goalies sharing as we review video, not just of saves, but of the drills they do, the why they do it, how they warm up. Like we've got it all. It's it's pretty unique site. Like I said, I don't care if you're a eight-year-old goalie. We have over 200 professional goalie coaches that subscribe, so there must be some good content on there. Um, minor pro goalies that rave about it. They play in Europe and say they've gotten better using some of the stuff in there or even a beer leaguer. If you're a goalie, we'll make you a better goalie and you'll learn and have some fun while you do it. Frankly, if you're a forward, you should be on there as well because you can you share the, the mind of the goalie. Yeah, you don't want to share all the secrets. I'm going to get kicked out of the union. Kev, thanks for doing this. Yeah, my pleasure, Jason. I really appreciate you having me on and look forward to doing more of this in the future. Awesome. Kevin Woodley from uh, InGoalMag joining us and uh, NHL.com. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we'll continue here with the uh, Stick to Hockey Live. And um, I, I love talking to Kevin because you get so much insight and so much knowledge and and uh, great stuff. And again, go go to the website. Go to InGoalMag.com. There's just so much great information there uh, for goalies. And, and just as fans, I think goaltending, I've said this before. I'm going to take off my hat. I'm getting a little warm. I've said this before that I think it's the most important position in sports. Now, of course, I'm a goalie, but so I'm biased. But I still think it's the most important position in sports. We can debate that later about goaltending or, or the quarterback. And I think it's one of the least understood positions in sports. So that's why Kev, that's why I want to get Kevin on. And Kevin's going to join us quite often So here on Stick to Hockey Live. So he, I think he provides a lot of insight. He just did a two-part uh, interview with Jeff Marrick of Sportsnet on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Elliot was out for a week, and they had a two-part episode of 32 Thoughts with Kevin as well. So go check that out as well. And they have their own In Goal Radio podcast as well on iTunes, and you can check that out. So great stuff. Thanks to Kevin for joining us. And let me tell you about Parks again, because, uh, you know, when you're betting games, maybe the knowledge of goals, how goals are scored, how many goals are scored, which teams do it well, which teams defend well – would help you in gambling, in putting action on games. It absolutely would, right? So why not why not get, gain that knowledge? So when you go and look at the card, you go, all right, Thatcher Demko from the Canucks is playing tonight against uh, Calgary. Calgary's a really stingy team because Daryl Sutter's teams don't give up a lot, and he really has minimized the high-danger chances against. This looks like an under. Or... You know, you look at a guy like, hey, they give up a lot of cross-ice chances and a, a cross-ice scorer on an east-west play is Elias Pettersson on the left side, and that team tends to give up a lot of that. Well, Elias Pettersson, I'll take him at plus 1,400 to score a goal. That's that's doing your homework and taking it to the next level. So download the Park Sportsbook app because you can bet on goal scorers. You can bet on first to score. You can bet on player performances in all the sports. You can bet on the game. You can bet play-by-play betting, periods, anything. So check it out. Everything's there. It's super easy to use. Um, I mean, literally, the, the the Parks app, anybody can do it. You don't have to be a savant with your phone to be able to execute it. So check it out. New customers right now, you're going to sign up and get $500 risk-free, your first bet, and you, you get in on the action. It's so much fun. The, the player performances. And is the most fun part about it because, you know, when you when I'm watching Anaheim play San Jose at a 10:30 game at the Shark Tank, I have no vested or emotional interest in that game at all. 
But if I can find an edge in that game, now I've got an emotional interest. So uh, make sure you sign up and get that $500 risk-free bet. Again, just download the app on your iTunes store, on your Android, whatever it is, or go to parkscasino.com slash PA. You get all the info there and sign up, get that $500 risk-free bet. Also, make sure you follow at Park Sportsbook on Twitter. Check out their Instagram. Give a follow there. YouTube, Facebook, where you're seeing all this stuff, and you'll get all the great information daily specials and tons of great content so everybody thanks for watching this edition of the stick to hockey live podcast another one for you coming up on thursday thanks to kevin woodley for joining us and thanks to all of you for watching have a great day and we'll talk to you on thursday